Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined in studio by Ellison Weist. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah. So we just saw each other a couple days ago. Yes, <laughs> and we're still on a high. We sure are because t- our guest today is arguably the premier American female professional runner, Shalane Flanagan. Woohoo! <laughs> and we got to go over to her house in the West Hills to record. And so we do want to mention that people uh, will probably notice a difference in sound quality because we're in studio and her beautiful home had very high ceilings and no clutter whatsoever. So there's nothing to absorb sound, whereas there's lots to absorb sound here. So, um, yes. So, well, as long as I've mentioned her, we'll go back, we'll do intro, but I am going to do the, um, you know, describe who Shalane is. Shalane boasts a long, long list of accomplishments, but got to start with 2017 women's winner of the New York City Marathon. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, it was amazing. This Portland resident has won countless medals, but perhaps the sparkliest is the bronze medal she nabbed on the track in the 2008 Beijing Olympics in the 10,000 meters. Shalane is also highly successful when she's not running. Along with Elise Kopecki, Shalane is co-author of the best-selling Run Fast, Eat Slow cookbook. And now the duo has just released a follow-up called Run Fast, Cook Fast, Eat Slow. Ellison and I, as I said, enjoyed an amazing opportunity to interview her on Sunday afternoon. So, but let's rewind because you got to make people wait for that Shalane interview. That's right. That's right. Dangle, dangle. <laughs> so, what you been reading? You got some books stacked under your arm there. Uh, as usual, I do. Um, one that I'm going to leave with you because I think yeah. you may like it is uh, it's by Sophie Hanna, but uh, uh, she's allowed to write this as Agatha Christie. Uh, oh. It's a new Hercule Poirot mystery. Mm-hmm. It's called The Mystery of Three Quarters, and apparently it's the third one she's done, which was news to me. And I'll say that I was surprised by how much I enjoyed this because typically I'm not, and I know this is heresy to some of you, an Agatha Christie fan. (gasps) Yeah, (gasps) yes, gasp. Um, But this one uh, really intrigued me. It uh, starts off in London. Wait, I have to say, it's the mystery of three quarters. It's about found change, right? No. It's not? No, I knew you would be. (laughs) Actually, it's about cake. Well, almost as good as (laughs) found change. (laughs) Except we don't want to find it lying in the middle of the street. Uh, Yeah, no. But uh, it starts off that uh, four people receive letters, supposedly from uh, Hercule Poirot, uh, accusing them of a murder. Mm. And uh, it doesn't, it's not giving anything away to say that uh, he has not sent these letters, but uh, he becomes very intrigued by how these people are connected, who wrote the letters, and was there, in fact, a murder. A murder. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, I was, I was surprised. It's pretty quick moving, um, uh, a little... Uh, twisty turny towards the end but a friend of mine said you obviously haven't read a lot of Agatha Christie if that surprised you um, and it did make me want to read uh, she's like I said this is the third that Sophie Hannah has written um, under the estate of Agatha Christie so I'm I'm intrigued uh-huh. by it uh-huh. um, and I think that people definitely people that like Agatha Christie will enjoy it and you know probably anybody that just enjoys a good mystery the reason I thought of you is because um I know that we have both enjoyed Anthony Horowitz. Anthony Horowitz. Of course, as soon as you started talking, I'm like, oh, this sounds yep. kind of like yep. old-timey Anthony Horowitz. That's exactly right. So this, I think, would be fabulous for anybody who likes yeah, us. Yeah, the magpie enjoys. murder. Yes, uh-huh. yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yep, yep, yep. My, I have to say my sister 
lived for Agatha Christie. She had her entire oeuvre. Oh, wow. And in paperback. And um, she would just churn through them. So, um, and someone, a um, woman named Jeannie here in my neighborhood one time told me we were talking about how to get to sleep. If, you know, <laughs> trouble sleeping during, uh, you know, perimenopause and menopause. And she said, I like to have a book that is somewhat interesting, but not too interesting. And I only read it when I have trouble sleeping. So I picked up um, Murder on the Orient Express, and that's what, and on occasion, I will turn on the light and start reading that if I have trouble sleeping. Okay. Well, yeah. I need to. I haven't to. gotten too far into it, but oh, really? I saw the movie. So, hey, I know what happens. Yeah, I saw part of the movie um, <laughs> and uh, could not get over, uh, uh, what's his oh, name? Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, the mustache. Um, yeah. Emma Thompson's uh, ex-husband. Ex-husband. Kenneth Branagh. Branagh. Very yeah, good. Yeah. Yes, that's embar- yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> how we id him yes <laughs> yeah shout out to emma thompson right. and from there i picked up uh, a book that i'd uh read a review of in the new york times and had heard of the removes by mm-hmm. tatiana soli and she is the author of um some of our listeners will know her from the lotus eaters mm-hmm. this one uh is primarily about uh george custer and his wife libby with uh also a uh, sort of side story about a young teenage girl who is uh, kidnapped by the Cheyenne. Oh. And when I was a kid, I always loved, you know, Indian captive oh. stories. Uh-huh. So um, this intrigued me, and I'm about halfway through and enjoying it. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I'm not what I would say a huge George Custer fan. I mean, it's not like, you know, but I did read... Um, the latest biography of him by T.J. Styles, which oh. came out. Um, you love a good biography. I do, I do, I do, and that moves us right yeah, into two that I'm going to be reading. I love Claire Tomlin. I know you do. I sent you a link to the New York Times review of that book, right? Yes, didn't I? Yeah, yes, I tweeted to her. Yes, I, I just, I mean, I adore her stuff. Um, she's got uh, biographies on Samuel Pepys, on Jane Charles, Austen. yes, Jane Austen, fabulous one, Charles Dickens, um, Thomas Hardy. Anyway, when I heard that she had an autobiography coming out, I just jumped on it, and it's called A Life of My Own. It appeals to me because it does sound uh, more. I mean, I'm sure it's got overtones of memoir, but I find and. You know, this is going to sound very uh, Anglo of me, but I find that a lot of time British writers are not so much into the, oh my gosh, this is what happened to me. (laughs) This is, please feel for me, bleed for me, like some of the American memoirs, Mm -hmm. which as Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a big fan Mm -hmm. of. Um, So I'm assuming there will be a small bit of reserve here with uh, Tomlin's work, and I'm looking forward to that. And two people have encouraged me to read a new debut called Where the Crawdads Sing, and the author is Delia Owens. It's um, set, I believe, yeah, in the late 1960s uh, on the North Carolina coast, Mm. and essentially is a coming of age wrapped up in a mystery. Oh. So, um, like I say, two readers who... Wait, but so this is nonfiction? No, it's fiction. Oh, fiction. Okay. It's fiction. It's a fiction debut. Um, Where the Crawdads Sing, Delia Owens. And um, I also believe that it was featured uh, in this week's New York Times under the crime category, which Mar- oh. Marilyn Stasio... 
So anyway, I'm intrigued by that one and look forward to reading it. Well, I mean, it has reviews on the back by some good people like Alexandra Fuller. I'm wondering if it's a little bit like that one set in uh, Savannah, uh, Garden of... Oh, but that one was nonfiction, Garden Uh, of Good and Evil. but But it sounds almost like it would have sort of that feel. I mean, that it's... I mean, it would have humidity. Lush, lush. They <laughs> lush. always throw that in when they talk about Southern Goth. A little bit of the Gothic, and yes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and you know, mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, sorry, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that could be, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always... just going to go out on a limb. I haven't, I've never even seen the book before a second ago, but that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> All right, go with it. Yeah. Work it, work it. <laughs> so, what have you been reading? So, I am finally emerging from my personal reading desert. Thanks to How Hard Can It Be by novelist Allison Pearson, who, right. speaking of reviews, wrote a favorable review or a little blurb on the cover of uh, Train Like a Mother. So Allison Pearson also wrote I Don't Know How She Does It, which came out a long time ago, like, I don't know, 12 years ago, maybe, maybe uh, yeah, something to that. And I just now. adored it. It's contemporary. I think it's very smart and sassy and witty and so insightful and um like i feel that people who like leanne moriarty but i feel allison pearson's novels are much smarter and snappier than those mm-hmm. and um far more insightful like she just really nailed like there's zingers of like yes and that one was more about a woman the first one was about a woman it's the same protagonist both times uh kate reddy and the first one was about after she had had her kids and was re-entering the workforce and now this one how hard can it be is when kate reddy is coming going back into the workforce after um, seven years of taking care of her kids and also her mother who had had a heart attack. So she's very much makes you know talks about being a sandwich mom, right? And um, had to explain that to Phoebe what that meant. Oh, uh, boy. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I said that's what I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so so I feel that Allison Pearson really, in addition to being a runner, she also speaks very much to a lot of topics that uh, mother runners are facing, whether they're, they've just had kids or whether they are in perimenopause or going back to work or something like that. So I have asked her via Twitter to be a guest on the podcast and I'm delighted to announce that she will be in the next several months. Yep. So, and, um, so, and I asked Molly to read both novels. Good. And, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> That'll be good because I think, you know, that will really enlighten people who are at the beginning of it and also remind those of us that are now in the sandwich generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, and it, the reason I thought of Molly being the co-host is because last night she and I were talking and she was talking about like how women of a certain age, you know, kind of 45 to 55, maybe are really unaccepting of their body shapes. And that it's time to leave that behind and really celebrate our bodies for what they can accomplish, rather than perhaps what they look like. And I was like, Oh, you are going to love how hard can it be by Alison Pearson. So yeah, she was like, you have to do another podcast talking about that sort of thing. I'm like, well, we are we're going to approach that topic, but via Alison Pearson. So um, so listen for that in the next several months. And then I also wanted to share a bit of personal news that I know I tweeted to you about that I said I would share with you on the podcast about um, John and dance at Da Vinci. Um, What has he done now? His accomplishments continue. So thank you. So he, um, uh, they just got their schedules. And so it was John's stated goal that he would move from dance one, which is the entry level dance at Da Vinci to dance four, which is the highest level. 
And it had only been done by three other kids throughout the history of the entire school. And my son is now number oh, four. Oh, my word. <laughs> That's so, fantastic. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, it was re- he was really, really thrilled. I was thrilled. We shared a very long celebratory hug about it. I mean, he he was starting to look for Clamp when he uh, um, when we were you know really when I first told him and when we were hugging and everything, and so that he in um, at you know kind of parent teacher conference they have you bring your kids to it, and so last October or whatever, I knew that he wanted to move up to dance four this year, and it's a placement thing like the teachers decided. And so he was kind of hemming and hawing, though, because to John, that would be kind of braggarty to do that. And I said, John, tell tell her. And the woman he was talking, the teacher he was talking to was his tap teacher. And so he finally said it out loud. And she said, John, that is a real possibility that you could do that. But you're going to need to really, the tap is what they need to know certain tap routines that they would learn in dance two and dance three. And so, um, because most kids go into dance one in sixth grade and then can jump up from there. So anyway, so she said, if you want to, if you are motivated enough, you can teach yourself the routines from Google Classroom videos and using the tap square that Molly gave us because her daughter screwed out of it or stopped using it. So yeah, so he taught himself that and he, um, there was a, there's a very gifted ballet dancer at, at Da Vinci who didn't know any tap. So John was teaching that boy tap. So that helped his, John's own tap routine. And, you know, he worked really hard on his ballet over the year. And, um, and he just had a lot of focus. And that's not that's something amazing. John brings to a lot of his other classes. So, that's amazing. So I'm really, really thrilled. Yeah. And, yeah. Good so, on him. Yeah. And at Da Vinci, they do capstone projects, which eighth graders focus on the art that they're most interested in. And then they do a project that they present at the end of the year. And everybody has to have kind of the same theme, but their interpretation. So it could be resistance or heroes or something like that. And so his capstone will be in dance. That's amazing. So, yeah. yeah so I was on, a, I was on a high oh, after God, that. I can just, imagine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so speaking of high, so it came quick on the heels <laughs> of our Chilean interview. So I, it was, a, it was a miracle. I got any sleep because <laughs> yeah, I was just your endorphins buzzing. are going. <laughs> I was just buzzing. So I say that we um, share kind of some behind the scene tidbits about our okay. interview with Chilean. Okay. The fact that I was able to speak <laughs> when she opened the door instead of, I was so afraid that I was going to sort of crumple because. I think I've shared I know I've shared with you that one time quite by mistake I literally opened the door to pals and ran into Jen Benoit Samuelson uh-huh. and went was struck dumb and by that I mean literally I, my mouth was opening nothing was coming up I was like a fish <laughs> and the poor thing so so you're so, like please don't let me have a Joe Benoit right. Samuels moment <laughs> <laughs> or don't let me burst into tears as I did when she crossed it in New York last in year in New York yeah when you were standing in front of your television yelling yes. at it yeah and, and yeah. Carl because like, that helps Why? people when yeah, you stand in front exactly. of uh, <laughs> so, or like a computer you know when I'm watching Boston Marathon and you're yep. yelling at men yep. or yelling at Des, you know, whatever. Go, go, yeah. go. We know they can hear us. <laughs> right, right. The energy goes out into the world and exactly. they can capture it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we had fun. We carpooled up in the Chrysler Pacifica, you, me, and Jonah, our former podcast producer, because Alex was out of town and only got told on Friday, like, hey, this is kind of unconventional, conventional, but on Friday, Sunday, can you go up to Shalane's house at four o'clock? Be there at four o'clock to do a podcast, yeah. and I'm like, can yeah. I? Can yes, I? yes, all <laughs> So, so roped uh, good old Jonah in. Thankfully, he was in town for the weekend, so that was fun. And 
So, oh my gosh, she has such a beautiful home. She does. Immaculate, It too. is immaculate. And, you know, I was wondering how much of that was, is it always like that? Because it just looked very, I mean, oh, like the, it, magazine it, ready. Sincerely magazine ready. Yes. Like, like there, yes. And you didn't get a sense that there was an overflowing closet with stuff jammed no. in it right before we got there. No. Yeah, no. I mean, no. Oh, there's photos of us, that we, and we did two Facebook Lives that we weren't really able to promo at all, because I sort of couldn't believe our good fortune, so I thought at any second they're going to be like, nope, doesn't work out. So I didn't want to promo it at all. So so we uh, Facebook Lived it with no introduction, like I said, and the three of us were seated on her beautiful white sectional. Yes. And that, um, oh my goodness, and the views, you know, being over in the West Hills, you just have a beautiful view, even though there is still smoke in the air, but um, from the forest fires. And so, oh my goodness, and the high ceilings and... um, Great kitchen. Oh, beautiful kitchen, which looks so familiar to anyone who, you know, has uh, looked at or looked at, poured over the two cookbooks. Um, So, yeah, and she... Um, just lovely, generous, very, very welcoming and yes. very genuine. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and small, but not like sometimes I've met, I've, I mean, Des Linden really is just like could fit in a teacup. She's so tiny. And, um, Shalane, I didn't feel like this huge hulking beast next no, to her. No, I, I think, you know, she's, she's thin, but she doesn't have, I think some of that sort of. And I understand that a lot of times they say that with female runners, especially if they're right before a race, sometimes get a little mm. teeny looking. Oh, that's a good point that that sometimes that's in the circumstance I've seen right. some of those runners. So, but she just looked super strong, just um, healthy, all probably due to the yeah, to the um, food that she's the eating. Food that she has. Exactly. And the recipes. Man, this book, I've. I, I just picked up stuff yesterday for the peanut butter cups. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She talks those. about on the podcast. And you <laughs> yeah. were almost literally drooling. I'm glad you didn't drool onto the sofa. Yeah. That would have that's, been that's a that, faux pas. Another another thing that I feared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I definitely did research before the the podcast recording. But thankfully, I did not go on Shalane's Instagram account, which is what I did on Monday. And... And um, and if you hear that sound, that's Augie scratching at the door. Um, so thankfully, I did not look at her Instagram account until Monday. I mean, I've, I've certainly looked at it before, but looking through the images reminded me of just the amazing accomplishments she has achieved and the sheer joy and and exultation we all felt watching her cross that finish line in New York and in the days after and. I just remember when she, I don't remember whether she tweeted or Instagram about how she just was, you know, couldn't sleep and just couldn't believe it had happened and that type of thing. And it was just like reading and seeing all that again yes. filled me with like, oh my goodness, Shalane is just a goddess. <laughs> and, and, and thankfully I didn't walk into her house thinking that. Like, I mean, I was, I was respectful and I was in, you know, very pleased to be meeting her and, you know, and esteem her greatly, but wasn't like... The Instagram really almost overwhelmed me, you yeah, know, because it yeah. just brought it all to life. And I think it also brought to life to me um, the fact of, of what a mentor she is to these younger mm, runners. I mean, I yeah. was thinking, oh, to be 40 years younger and be a Bowerman babe, <laughs> <laughs> a girl can dream. Right, right. But that, I, I was really struck by that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just another reason to admire her. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, and that she, and that she basically in the interview attributes um her the coach bringing them in with keeping her on with her rigorous training right and keeping her driving toward 
even greater goals and enjoying it which mm-hmm. is something that i think everybody all of us can uh you know running with a, a good friend or a couple of good friends there's nothing like it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes yes so well, all right well we are going to take a quick break but stay tuned for our in-person conversation with shalane flanagan Shalane, thank you so much for having us over to your lovely house to record the podcast. Well, thank you for coming here. It's nice and hot, but um, yeah, thank you for being here. So, okay, so let's start by getting a little bit personal, if that's okay. Um, We know that you and your husband uh, had some foster children last year when you were training for New York. And I just read in the New York Times that you two are looking to adopt a child. And so, um, I mean... It would seem like that's adding, both those things add a lot to your training plate and your life plate. I mean, so how are you, you know, you are, you're the mother runner. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so with uh, Brianna and Kiana, um, we were contacted right before the Rio Olympics that they needed help and housing for their senior year at Lincoln High. Oh. Um, so they actually moved in while I was actually in Rio. Mm. Um, so my husband took them in and they moved in um, seamlessly and happily. And so when I came back from the Olympics, they, they were already living with us. And then um, they have since moved on and graduated high school and now are enrolled in a community college mm-hmm. across the river on the east side and living closer to school. And mm-hmm. from what I understand and know with the limited um, amount of like conversation, but through texting, we stay in contact <laughs> and um, things are going well. They got driver's license. They're going to school. Um, they have summer jobs as camp counselors. And cool. so it's a really rewarding process. Um and so they moved out a few months before New York. So okay. like over the late summer. Okay. Um, so when I started to go do my high altitude training, they had already moved out. Um, so, but that was an amazing experience. And I think my husband and I said like, we could do foster care for like the rest of our lives. Like we really enjoyed um, our time with the girls and we could envision helping more children. And so we've had the discussion of adoption for quite a long time, actually. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, oh, it's, you know, because uh, Shalane wants to continue running, so she doesn't want to take the time to actually, um, you know, get pregnant and have a child. And that's not actually the case. I've always wanted to adopt. Um, it doesn't mean we wouldn't have our own children as well, but that has always interested me. And so mm-hmm. we're... Um, aggressively pursuing that and it's not an easy process it's like really overwhelming actually and um so it's gathering a lot of information and resources and but at the same time it shouldn't be easy you Mm -hmm. shouldn't be able to just get a child (laughs) um so it should be hard um but yeah so I think I I've been vocal in sharing that because I guess I'm hopeful that there's potentially some woman or parents out there that are in a precarious situation and maybe they hear of me wanting to adopt and maybe the stars align and, and I'm able to adopt a child just through word of mouth. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I'm, we're using an agency and going through DHS here locally in Oregon and going through a lot of avenues to, um, adopt, but who knows who's out there, you know, mm-hmm. and potentially in a situation that I could be helpful. So, mm-hmm. and are you looking to adopt a newborn or a, cause it, it's yeah. at a child. Yes. Um, so to me, that didn't say baby. Um, actually, yeah, I think our, our first choice would be an infant. I think we want to go through the tough times, not, not just the easy times. And there my, are no easy times. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's true. Um, 
Uh, there's always just different stages. Um, my sister just, in fact, um, gave birth to a healthy boy um, in late July. Oh. And so, you know, she is very sleep deprived right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's been interesting to watch her go through motherhood and the highs and lows. And um, I think I just, we want that experience too. Mm-hmm. We want to like earn our stripes as parents. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, your career has been so long, and your bronze medal, which has now been upgraded to silver in the 2008 Beijing Olympics uh, in the 10,000 meters, must seem like another lifetime ago. Um, Are you able to cast your mind back to what it felt like to step up from the 10,000 meters to a marathon roadways? Yeah, so 2008 was when um, I was a track track runner and have that Olympic medal, but I think I knew that that was kind of like one of those moments that it's going to be hard to top that. You know, I ran as fast as I ever had and I got an Olympic medal. Um, So I was kind of looking, well, what's the next challenge, something to strive for? And that was the marathon. So um, I worked for two years after that Beijing Olympics to callousing myself and becoming a marathoner. And um, it was really hard and difficult (laughs) and tiring, Um, but really happy I did it and debuted in New York in 2010. And it went well enough that I thought, okay, you know, I wanna pursue this and see if I um, can become an Olympian at that distance as well. So everyone was thrilled by your announcement that you're gonna be returning to New York to defend your title at the New York City Marathon. So from some anecdotes in that recent New York Times profile, it sounds like you might be in the best shape of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'm in the best shape. Um, I haven't, like, I don't really know, but I'm in good shape. I'm... I've been working this summer on getting back some of like my speed um, and turning my legs over, and so when... um, Lindsay had visited uh, the New York Times reporter. She watched me do a speed workout, and um, I think she could tell I was excited because I was running with younger teammates, literally like a decade younger, and chasing them around the track. And they pulled me to some faster splits, and you know, for a speed workout than I had seen in probably a decade. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a good sign um, that even though I'm 37, I'm still running similar times to when I'm 27. And so that can only bode well for the marathon for me because. There's naturally, as you age, um, a decay of speed. And so for me to work on that and to actually like, get that back um, is a good sign. So, yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, your debut in the 2010 New York City Marathon. Um, and you finished second place uh, in a time of 228.40. Now, that was the best New York City finish for an American woman in 20 years. Mm-hmm. So now, given what happened last year, do you see that 2010 race as sort of a foreshadowing? I don't know. I think the New York course agrees with me. I, there's something about um, the city that feels magical. When I land, I just get like this great feeling. It's just like a connection and I can't explain it. It just is there. It's like whether you're attracted to someone or not. And it's like, there's that chemistry that I have with New York. And I think it's just a good fit for me. So, um, yeah, when I ran in 2010, I knew that I loved my experience and I thought the course suited me well. And I'd heard horror stories like New York is so difficult, so challenging, the hills, the bridges, the wind. And when I ran, I was like, that wasn't that bad. I really liked it. And then the same thing again, last year, I'm like, I, I don't know what it is. I really like that course. Um, so I hope I have 
<laughs> the same type of positive experience again this fall. Um, and yeah, who knows what pos- what's possible. It'd be fun to run potentially really fast this time, like really fast. So, <laughs> yeah, because last year when you all went out, quote unquote, slower than that, people say the pace was slower in the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, the best way to run a marathon is to do what they say a negative split. Mm-hmm. So the first half of the race is slower than the second half. And this, so that's a better way to run it. And also you feel better and you get a better result. So, um, yeah, it was a slower pace where it really kept the group of women and athletes, um, really together for a long amount of time. And then when it got going, it got really violent really quickly and it was really fast, but yeah, it was a nice negative split. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. You use the word violent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I call it like when paces get really uncomfortable, I call it violent. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Okay. So talking about the New York course, so let's get into the weeds for a bit with some astonishing, hella impressive stats laid out on your Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, so at New York last year, your average pace from 35 kilometers to the finish line, which over the course averages a slight uphill, was 311.4 per kilometer, which is faster than the women's only marathon world record pace of 314.8 kilometers. So how did you achieve that incredibly strong finish and what was going through your mind as you were doing it? That's really nice that you like look that up because I love geeky stats like that. I like really appreciate that because um, that's like one of the fastest closes in history of American women's marathoning. And so it's like I'm really proud of that body of work and not many people besides like really geeky people like would know that and look that up. So I really appreciate that (laughs) that you look that up. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess it goes back to like my track background and I visualized that moment and what it was going to take. And my coach said, like, you've got to be able to run, you know, in terms of mile pace, like five Oh something, five Oh eights, five Oh fives. Like you need to just throw it down. Cause you're running against Mary Katani, who is the world record holder in the women's only marathon right now with a two seventeen. So you got to close hard and fast, like when you go. And so, you know, I prepared here in Portland out on Savi Island, visualizing mm-hmm. running yeah. against the best in the world coming from Kenya to race. And so what I did in that last like 10 K and to achieve those splits, obviously it was a lot of training and a body of work over a lifetime. But you know, when I was in New York city, I was visualizing my training here in Mm. Portland on Savi and thinking like, okay, it's just like practice. I'm going to throw down, you know, five minute miles and that's what it's going to take. And thankfully it did pan out, but yeah, it was like, I was running scared because I knew that that's what it was going to have to take to be Mm. a Mary Katani. And were you by yourself out there on Savi or did you bring some of your teammates out there? No, my coach is usually on the bike. Um, yeah, yeah, I I knew you weren't literally by, yeah, yeah. Um, and then sometimes my teammates like Amy Craig, who lives here, she would come out to a few of my workouts, um, and cheer me on. And then, um, her husband sometimes would actually come out and run with me and pace me for little chunks of the workout. Sometimes he couldn't hang. It was too fast. So, but, um, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, he's only like a three time Olympian or something like that, but (laughs) he's very kind to help us. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Nice. Nice. Well, um, us mother runners love a good best running friend, or as we call it, the BRF. And uh, I need to have a shout out to mine, Monica Hunsberger, who broke my running heart in 2010 by moving to Gothenburg, Sweden. Um, but anyway, um, it seems like uh, year, a lot of your success you've attributed to the training partners you've uh, recruited to run with you here in the Portland area. 
Uh, talk to us about what workouts with the Bowerman babes, as you call them, <laughs> uh, mean to you both physically and emotionally. Yeah, I think the sport can be lonely if you, you know, opt for that avenue, but I've found that in order to sustain my excitement level and my passion for what I do, I need to be surrounded by other women um, for a variety of reasons, um, the camaraderie, um, the accountability, the high level of um, you know standards that we set every day, um, like-minded in the sense that we want to achieve greatness. And so just having people push me every day, I enjoy that. Um, you know, if you, if I trained alone, I could think, you know, I'm, I'm doing a great job. I'm, I'm kicking butt, but then the reality of getting to a race and like, Oh no, I'm really not. And so having being confronted by the world's best every day is I find a way to get better. But then on top of it, I just enjoy it more. Like I would, I've told my coach so many times, if he didn't bring on the women in these last three years, I, I easily would have been retired like four years ago. I, I love running, but I think I've come to a stage in my life where I love it because of, you know, what men would describe, um, you know, in football is the locker room, the locker room camaraderie. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with my team. I have this locker room camaraderie and like what I'm going to miss the most when I step away from competitive running is, is that is the women and being with them day in and day out and going through the highs and lows of running and injuries and, um, you know, really incredible moments of fulfilling a dream and I'm going to miss that the most for sure and the the people and the relationships that I've formed um and so they're like a vital component to my success um not just literally because they're physically running next to me but just the emotional support I mean we're we're in each other's lives on so many levels that um it's really enhanced like everything that I do yeah, and you yeah. had mentioned Amy Craig, and, you know, so we all think back to the 2016 <laughs> Olympic trials, and that, <laughs> I get verklempt <laughs> a little bit thinking about that. Uh, and by the way, I, I was standing in front of my television in solid tears when you won in New York, so, okay, yeah. get hold of yourself, Ellison. But that, I thought, was uh, the Olympic trials in 2016 was such a, a testament to both of your hard work but also your friendship yeah I think that wow that moment um like I can never repay Amy for helping me but I think it's one of those um moments where you know I've I've done various things for other women and that was like yes. my moment to, to claim back um some of those efforts you know their support showing me in that moment was incredible. And Amy's one of the kindest, sweetest people like you've ever met. And so it doesn't surprise me that she would do something so selfless, um, to help me out. So, um, that is probably one of my favorite memories, even though it was like one of the more painful things I've ever been through. It was one of my favorite memories, um, that I'll have in my career is someone being so selfless like that. Mm-hmm. It was just so gracious and it was so beautiful to watch. I mean, it was just something that I think you don't really see in men's sports, you know, that probably you, not yeah. <laughs> as much. <laughs> right. right. So, okay. So enough with this running stuff, let's move on to F O O D. Um, so you famously said, yeah, as you cruise toward the finish line at last year's New York city marathon, 
What do you exclaim when you nail a super tasty dish like the bison chili or brown rice risotto with mushroom and peas in your new cookbook? <laughs> well, I think the F yeah still applies, but I, maybe an mm, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's it. Because <laughs> you showed us what you're making tomorrow night. Tell us about that dish. Yeah, it's a slow cooker dish that Elise came up with while she was recovering from having her son, Rylan. And um, it's got lentils. It's a really good source of iron, basically, because her iron levels dropped. Mm. Um, so it has beef and lentils and kale and a bunch of veggies, but mm. a really great slow cooker meal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to make that because I head to New York next week for some more book promo. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to leave my husband with a big batch of food that he can You do eat. not have to do that. You do not. <laughs> I don't have to, but okay. I'm going to because otherwise it gets really scrappy around here. Right? Oh, dear. I don't want him eating the cat. So. <laughs> but you've got nothing yeah. better to be doing. Yeah. Okay, so. yeah. <laughs> well, um, looking over run fast, cook fast, eat slow, it sure looks like you and Elise paid attention to feedback from fans on what they loved from your earlier cookbook and wanted more of. Now, like serving up, you've got three variations of the super popular superhero muffins. And then one of my favorites, Can't Beat Me Smoothie, now comes in 2.0. Were comments from social media and in-person events on your mind when the two of you worked on this new book? Absolutely. When we created Run Fast, Eat Slow, we didn't envision ever having a second cookbook. We were just Mm. like, this is it. We We won't do another one. But then when we were on tour... We had people giving us so much great feedback while we were traveling around the country and so many ideas that we just started writing them down. And our uh, agent just said, you know what, you guys should just take notes and just see maybe there's enough to materialize into another book. And we're like, nah, we don't really think so. But okay, so we took a ton of notes between the two of us nonstop on tour and Mm -hmm. just listened to what our fans wanted. And we just heard from our fans that they were busy they wanted to eat healthy, usually parents who were working, um, students, you know, grad students that were on a tight budget, or even high school students that were wanting to eat healthy but didn't um, have the time or their parents didn't have the time. So it was like this time crunch but want to eat healthy lifestyle. And that at times for Elise and I is very relatable. Like there are just moments where we want a quick fix, but we want it to be healthy. We don't want to be eating junk. Um, so... That's how this cookbook came to be. It was just listening to what they wanted and what their lifestyles were like. And so how can we accommodate and create a book that is going to fit everyone's needs? Mm-hmm. So is it just our impression or is there way more advice in this follow-up cookbook? Um, sort of like a run fast, eat slow ethos plus more running and fitness pointers. Absolutely. That too was also um, on the topic of discussion was just like, well, Shalane, we want to know what stretches you do or what are you thinking about when you're lining up to race or, um, you know, Elise, how are you managing being a working mom with two kids and just people want to know more about our life mm-hmm. a little bit more. So we wanted to give them a glimpse into like, well, this is how we live our lifestyle. Maybe this can help you. Maybe it doesn't apply, but we just felt like we wanted to give a little bit more of ourselves into this book so people could really get to know us and what mm-hmm. makes us tick. Um, and then, yeah, there's just a lot of advice. And one thing that we were both really passionate about that we wanted to address head on was eating disorders. Cause that is definitely an issue in the running world. And we witnessed it firsthand in high school and in college, um, at the elite level, you don't really notice it because to get to the elite level, like you just can't 
undernourished in that way. Otherwise you'll get injured and you won't make it. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely more in the college aspect. And we feel like that this can be a great tool for college coaches and college athletes and high school kids. And it really helps. We've gotten so much, so many emails and letters that are like, make us cry. Like the feedback that we get of how it's helping someone overcome, um, you know, and, an unhealthy relationship with food. It was like a top priority. And so that's like what I'm most proud of in this book is addressing that issue head on. And I even disclosed how at various times in my career, like I felt like I had to count calories because I had to be light and lean to compete with the best in the world. And it becomes kind of like this obsessive, negative mm-hmm. mental space. And like you look at food, not as fuel, you're looking at it as like something negative. And so we wanted to reverse that. And I think when Elise and I just started discussing about the cookbook, she's like, Shalene, you should not be counting calories. I'm like, what? But yeah, I have to. And she's like, no, just stop, abandon it. And that's why we don't have any calorie counts or fat counts or grams of this, grams of that, because when you go to pick up an apple, there's not like a calorie count on an apple, right? right. You just eat the apple mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be good for you. So um, we're trying to just get people to like stop obsessing about calorie counts and like that the most important thing is how you're feeling and then like worry about the splits on your watch, worry about the amount of miles you're putting in and just make sure you're feeling good and the rest is like going to follow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so talking about the dishes, what are some of your personal favorites Um especially say on your highest mileage weeks or even when you're in the taper? Yeah, I think I'm a most emotionally attached to the Thai quinoa salad mm. because it was the first recipe I tested out of this cookbook. And it was right after I had found out that I had a fracture in my low back and had to pull oh. out of the Boston Marathon. So I drove out to Ben to, to you know, meet up with Elise and our cookbook assistant and get started on this book. And it was the first recipe we created and I fell in love with it and I ate it, like I was addicted to it and ate it like once a week, a couple times a week leading up through New York and even the week of New York. So it's like have this emotional attachment because it kind of like gave me this like turn of events of like being hopeful and like, passionate about my next project which was this when I had a moment of you know athletic kind of like bummer news um it really helped me kind of turn that corner and and like feel positive about something so that's my like emotionally attached recipe (laughs) um I love uh the peanut butter cups is like a dessert Mm -hmm. that's on (laughs) my list (laughs) kids love it um I recipe tested it with my coach's daughter who um is in high school and she goes to Jesuit here she's a senior and a great little runner and so I love that one um just because it's kid friendly and easy Um, and then I love some of like our hearty soups, um, just because like, as you know, cold, rainy Portland Mm -hmm. winter months, Mm -hmm. I love having a good soup ready, Mm -hmm. um, to go some, the superfood soup is like one of my favorites, but I mean, there's, there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) So, and run fast, cook fast, eat slow has so many great snack recipes, both savory and sweet. You already mentioned the, the peanut butter cups. Are there any that you pack and take with you when traveling to races or to promotional events? Yes. And what's great is usually when Elise and I travel together, she's always making like a lot of these goodies, which is so nice. (laughs) (laughs) She knows I get like really like it's true. I get hangry and we both do. So 
Um, there's a great like trail mix um, in here that has like pretzels and a bunch of nuts and like um, good seasoning that's kind of roasted. So she'll pack like little baggies full of that. Um, our muffins obviously travel great and travel well. Um, the three different versions. She made the apple carrot ones the other day while I was in Bend. Um, I also love the breakfast cookies. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have tried those, the sweet potato ones in the first book, but then we have a new version with banana and coconut in this one. So (laughs) those travel well. Um, yeah. And then obviously some of the sweet treats like the peanut butter cups and stuff like that. But, um, those are some of my, my favorites. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Well, you and Elise have really, really built a movement and a loyal following, uh, with run fast, eat slow. And we know you're going to be gaining more fans with this cookbook. So where do you see this all going? Um, nutrition retreats, more books, a TV show? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I'll have to talk to Elise. I think we like try to focus one thing at a time, but you know, this is a labor of love. It's a lot of work, um, creating a cookbook. I mean, all books are, but, um, recipe testing is quite arduous and time consuming. Um, so I think we're going to like let this soak in. And I think, you know, she wants to focus on her kids for a while and really make sure she's present and they're, um, just, you know, with having two kids now, it's a little, little hectic over there. And then, you know, I want an addition in my family. So I think we're going to, focus on family for a bit and then see what what's mm-hmm. next but I always push Elise that I think she should create like a cookbook for like infants and like what you feed infants and what's good for your mothers and infants mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that's my idea that I think she should write next so <laughs> you'll be her agent <laughs> yes basically I'm like you'd be great at this you should do it um but yeah it's it's easy to sit here on my couch and talk about but um yeah, I don't know where it's going to take us. I think Elise has definitely built such a great platform to help people with her nutrition background that I can see her taking it to another level and trying to reach a lot of young athletes and help them. Um, I'm not sure what platform, maybe through our website, maybe like the Facebook Live, so she mm-hmm. can do some coaching from people from all over the country. Mm-hmm. But I think that would be um, a great avenue for her, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And now because of you stepping up or announcing that you're going to be doing New York, does that mean Mm -hmm. that, um, I know like the Portland event was postponed until November. So it sounds like you have a very limited number of promotional events before New York. And then is there going to be a slightly bigger tour (laughs) post New York? Um, your victory lap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's to be determined. We definitely wanted to make sure the Portland event was going to be really special. So that's why we delayed it because we weren't getting the venue that we really wanted. So that's why we wanted to change things and just wait and make sure it's done really well. Uh But we'd love to collaborate and combine the two foodie worlds and athletic worlds. And Uh so we want, we want more and want it to be more special. So that's why we're waiting Uh to do it in November. And, but yeah, I actually have to train for New York. Um, so it limits where how much time and energy because it kind of it kind of zaps me when we do a lot of traveling um and it's just harder on me if I'm not getting enough sleep Elise makes fun of me because like I am like I get a lot of sleep and she's like sleep deprived and she's like come on can't you function I'm like but I'm running like over 100 miles a week it's a little we're both tired but just different so and it's a little hard to feel sorry for oh wah wah you got nine hours uninterrupted oh your cat jumped on your bed yeah exactly so um we both are you know working really hard at doing the best possible 
jobs outside of, you know, with the cookbook. But um, so we're just making sure whatever we do, we do it really well. So Mm -hmm. that's why it's limited. And then we'll have further discussion after New York. But for sure, we'll have a Portland event Mm -hmm. in November after New York. Good, 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 good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, so as... Ellison said, we love BRFs, but another thing we love around another Mother Runner parts are TMI topics. So I would be sorely remiss if I didn't ask about the bathroom break at Boston this year. And I mean, come on, you even set speed records with when you use a porta potty uh, under 14 seconds. Um, how do you get the job done? First, yeah. I want to know who was timing that. Some, some guy on, um, I don't know where I saw this. This was. I don't Oh, I guess I clicked on something. And some guy on Twitter, I guess, was following the live feed and he timed it. So it was 13.86 in case you don't it's know that. It's pretty impressive. Step. It is That's very impressive, good. woman. Because, yeah. okay, so Ian and I were talking about outside. And I'm just going to just say it out loud. Yeah. We think you just pulled your shorts to the side. Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah, good. that you didn't yeah. pull down. Because, I didn't pull yeah. them down. Yeah, because, pull, I mean, you, your hands must have been cold. Yes. You're, you're you know... Your bun, your bun huggers were yeah. wet because yeah. it was raining. So it would have taken you longer just to peel it down and peel it back totally, up. Totally, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, you okay. nailed it. Okay, all right, okay. Yeah, so we but, spent but more then... time talking about <laughs> yeah. it than you spent doing yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but so did you just think yeah. about just peeing on the fly? I did, but I have never been able to do that, unfortunately. Oh. Like, I, I know that people, like... You would think I would be able to, but I, I just couldn't. Okay, because because I'm known for peeing on the fly, because you yeah. know, because you know, I can't. Uh, I, yeah, you know, I, can't. Oh. Um, I can't. So I, um, uh, you got to practice it. And okay. so, yeah, and look at, you're what, looking at me, the yeah. look on your face is like, um, no, you can tell me all this and I'm not going to, but I knew that to, the first time I was trying to qualify for Boston, I knew a bathroom stop had kept me from qualifying for Boston. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And so when the national anthem was being sung at, uh, here at 2010 <laughs> Portland and it was pouring rain, I forced yeah. myself to pee because it's hard as an adult to pee while you're wearing clothes. Yeah. You know, because yeah. um, it's, it's hardwired, you know? Yes. And so then at smile 17, when I had to, I just, you just know, did. peed in my caprice. Yeah. yeah. And my running partner, who I believe is faster than I am, she stopped at the porta potty and she did, she missed qualifying. Okay. Well, this is a future question for you that you should ask if you have Kara on. She oh. has some stories about like teaching herself to pee herself. So, oh, good. Okay. Well, you're going to heads up. Awesome. Because, because she's, she... she's good at it. <laughs> and when we train together, like she could do it. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. So. Well, I know that Kara has said, she has uh, mad props for people like that normal human beings are um, who have to spend four hours out there or something to yeah. hold their you know to yeah. hold their bladder right. all that time yeah you know and so you know I think you just shut down I'm one of those you know I was a what 352 or and I just I just shut down yeah, yeah. I mean you, you, yeah, yeah no I well and also when it was wet and so there I wasn't yeah so yeah. anyway, yeah, I should have, but I need to learn how because okay, yeah. I like. I can, I can coach it. you. I can, now that I know the way up here, I <laughs> part can coach of me was you. thinking, yeah. God, that porta potty looks so much like warmer and even more inviting than being out here. Oh, like yeah, part of me was like, you know what, that porta potty looks nice. Like, yeah, and that's yeah. how bad it was. Is yeah. that I thought a porta potty looked like a more like opportune space to go hang out for thirteen <laughs> oh, seconds. Oh, oh, the wind. That's no how wind, I felt about that. Raining. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so, but you didn't have. But you obviously didn't debate long about whether to stay in there or not. 
So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. Uh-huh. no, I know. Should have longer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So well, if you you know if you need any, you know, I can coach you. Okay, yeah, thank you. I'm still here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, thank you so much for taking time out. I know a very busy schedule to talk with us. So, oh yeah, you. no, thank you for yeah. coming. And good luck with the book. I just know that it's just gonna sell like hotcakes. You know, like breakfast cookies with our crowd. So. <laughs> and good luck in New York. Oh yeah, yeah thank make you. me cry again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> in a good way. Happy yeah. Tears. Happy tears. Happy yeah. tears. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That would be lovely. <laughs> I would love that. All right. Well, whether you are a regular listener of the Another Mother Runner podcast or you just joined us today for this special Shalane Flanagan episode, I'd be greatly appreciative if you could subscribe to our podcast. That means it automatically downloads into your feed wherever it is you listen to it, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, the podcast app on your iPhone, whatever. Please subscribe to the Another Mother Runner podcast. We have a regular show every Friday and Another Mother Runner answers now every other Tuesday. Our podcast today was recorded in two parts, partly by Alex Ward and partly by Jonah Guile Newfeld. I really appreciate him pinch hitting. Many happy miles to you. Mm-hmm.